Hello there, my name's Neil David and I'm the host of Eurograps Express, the podcast exclusively dedicated to the wrestling of Europe. If it's wrestling and it happens in Europe and it's good, we talk about it. Whether it's RevPro, Progress, WXW, Passion Pro, Pro Wrestling Chaos, Pro Wrestling North, we don't care, we talk about them all. If it's good and it's exciting, I want to share it with you. We're on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Check us out on the feed. Check us out on Twitter at EuroGrapsEXP. And join us for chat about European wrestling and a little bit of chat about cheese. Hopefully see you there. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Tyler Fornes, and with me today is not Fred Moreland. Fred is out doing things for his shoot job, and instead, we have Voices of Wrestling's ROH expert, Sean Cedor. Sean, how are you today? Tyler, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, a lot going on in life, both uh, in terms of like shoot work stuff and, uh, and uh, my fandoms outside of that last weekend was a pretty big weekend penn state losing a close one to ohio state and then the eagles my eagles winning a big game on sunday night and then the, the nascar season's almost over it's, it's a lot going on because uh the year is almost coming to an end here how does the nascar season look right now sean who are who are the, uh the the big names that you think have a realistic chance to win uh the nascar title so uh, this coming weekend, they're in Martinsville, and that's the final race that essentially decides who gets into the, the who will be fighting for the championship at Phoenix. Uh, right now, uh, Kyle Larson and Christopher Bell have locked themselves in. They won the last two races, so they're in. Last weekend, they were racing in uh, Homestead, Miami, and it was actually probably the most chaotic race in terms of how the standings were playing out because there were a couple drivers who were on opposite sides. And for those who don't know the NASCAR playoff system, how it works is basically, you know, they start with 16 drivers at the you know 10 race to go mark. And then every three races, they knock four out based on the points and then it comes down to the final four or the final race. And uh, there were a couple drivers who were, both on the plus and negative side, who completely flipped ends after that race. It was pretty, uh, it's pretty nutty. But uh, yeah, so Martinsville is this weekend. Uh, it's the one-year anniversary of, and I'm sure people might remember this clip that happened last year. It was the anniversary of where a guy named Ross Chastain, who was trying to get into the final four, he uh, basically did a what what's been called a video game move, and he got gassed it up and rode the wall all the way around the final turn there to. Uh, get in though can't do that this year because they've outlawed it but uh no it's 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 exciting it's, it's really wide open i can't really give you a, a favorite of who i think is going to win especially now with, with, whole, with how that whole format works you know it always comes down to basically who does the best in the vinyl race um so you know there, there are guys who are below the cut line who could feasibly win this weekend and get themselves in but uh 
No, I'm looking forward to it. It's it's wild. NASCAR is the longest season in sports. Starts in like February and goes all the way to November. So uh, always something going on on a NASCAR weekend. But yeah, no, it's it's exciting. It's it's exciting and sad knowing that there's two races left. But again, like I said, it's a very short off season, so it won't be too long before uh, February rolls around and they're they're back at it again. Now, take it from me, the the NFL season for me basically goes end of July till end of April. And then I essentially get about two and a half months off from my shoot job where I don't really have time off per se, but right. it's a it's a heck of a lot more enjoyable to be able to, oh, I got my couple things in. Now I can just go hang out for the rest of the day and enjoy it. it I think like it goes way by way faster than you think. Um because we have you on, I want your take on this, Sean. And we thought that it was a mistake at first that when they announced final battle being on December 15th uh, in, I believe Houston, because they're going to have collision in Houston the next night. I think it's actually, I think it's actually, um, it's the Curtis Colwell center, which I think is sort of in the Dallas Fort Worth area. I want to say. Oh, they, okay. Yeah. Cause that's, that, that's a building. It's, it's weird. So that building is apparently actually like a high school gym, which is weird, but it's also like Texas. So I, I, from what I've heard, like high schools have, have a, in Texas have like a lot of kids. So mm-hmm. I guess like a 5,000 seat gymnasium isn't totally surprising, but yeah, apparently that's that's like a high it's a high school gym somewhere in the Dallas in the greater Dallas area, I want to say. Not in Dallas itself, but somewhere mm-hmm. surrounding it. I only know that cuz AWs, I think they ran their first show there or the first time they ran there was in like 2019. Yep. So like they've been they've been running that venue a lot pretty much every year. So um but yeah, no, so obviously like you were mentioning there uh they're doing the pay-per-view exclusively on honor club uh which is an interesting move uh the last or all the pay-per-views they did last year for ring of honor and the pay-per-views they've done so far this year have been they've been available on honor club but also on pay-per-view and bleach report and all that um and they've done i guess for 2022 2023 roh standards they've done okay on pay-per-view um but this move, I think, is clearly a sign that they're trying to uh, get more people to either, you know, return to Honor Club or keep their subscriptions. Uh, I, you know, I really don't see any other reason why they would make the pay-per-view exclusively on Honor Club. Um, and we'll see what happens with it. I mean, I haven't checked this, but I'm pretty sure the way it's going to work out is that it's just going to be, it's not like UFC, where you subscribe to ESPN plus, and then you have to buy the pay-per-view on top of it. I think as far as I know, it's just going to be, you purchase your honor club subscription and then you get access to the pay-per-view, which um, I think that's worth giving it a shot to see how it goes and see how it impacts the honor club subscriptions. Um, Also probably a smart move, given the fact that they're also running an AEW pay-per-view as we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, at the end of December. So uh, maybe part of the idea too, is that, Hey, we don't want people to pay. You know, we already had them pay for two pay-per-views within this week of each other back in August, September, but those, those were uh, both AEW. So maybe the thought is, you know, we'll just uh, put this on honor club 
see how it does, and then it, it will sort of mitigate costs for people when they uh, purchase the new December pay-per-view that we'll talk about. You'll know this answer, Sean. Before the pandemic, didn't Honor Club uh, subscribers get like half off of Ring of Honor pay-per-views? Yeah, so I'm I'm trying to think. I'm fairly certain that was the case for a while there. Uh, I know they were doing a thing pre-pandemic where they they had the pay-per-views, but then for like the normal, I guess what I would still consider the like DVD live events, they would there was a point where they started to stream those on Honor Club totally like live, totally for free for those who already have the the uh, subscription. So, like I said, I think that's how this pay-per-view is going to work out, as far as I know. But yeah, I think previously, you Honor Club members got a discount on the pay-per-view, and there were different tiers. Uh, I know I wrote a couple articles for Voices of Wrestling on it at the time, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was s- sort of how it worked at the time. So, uh, there's this theory that's going around, and I, it's very intriguing that... Tony Khan is almost throwing things at a wall right now, trying to see how things will work as far as pay-per-view structure, because this whole ring of honor, quote unquote experiment, as you can say, is about 18 months old. And the actual television is, has only been going on since like, I think February. So we, we're still trying to figure out how things are going to be structured. And obviously AEW has a new TV deal. It's about to come. It feels like we've been talking about that for over six months, but the three pay-per-views in what, like 35 days earlier this month with all in all out and wrestle dream. And then now you have Tony Khan putting a pay-per-view exclusively on honor club. It feels like he's trying to kind of see what works with the fan base and what doesn't. And that making sure he doesn't like exhaust the fan base because it feels like every pay-per-view is going to get about a hundred thousand buys at least. And then the rest of the buys are feel are going to be determined by a multitude of factors. One of them being the card, another being, Hey, do I have money for this? Because I've already bought like two pay-per-views in the past month. So maybe I shouldn't buy a third. Do you think this is another one of those instances? And do you think there's a realistic chance of all ring of honor pay-per-views going strictly to honor club and trying to really spike that service? for longevity rather than just getting a, a $40 spike once a quarter? Um, I think it's going to depend on how well, obviously, this final battle show does. And I think what's tricky about doing it now is that it, it, it with them doing this pay-per-view exclusively on Honor Club, it I feel like it's going to kind of make it hard for them to go back and Quit Ring of Honor pay-per-views back on traditional pay-per-view because if you, especially if you get a significant spike in Honor Club subscriptions, I don't know if people, you know, if you do, I'm presuming the next pay-per-view will be the WrestleMania weekend show next year in Philadelphia. I don't know if you can go back and say, you know, we offer this pay-per-view exclusively on Honor Club, but uh, now we're going to offer it on pay-per-view again. I don't know if you can do that. If, if you're doing, if you, you know, it's, it's like the whole WWE issue that they ran into when they launched the WWE network, where uh, once they started offering their pay-per-views exclusively on the WWE network, it's like, 
yeah, they, they still sell pay-per-view, but you basically price the value of uh, WWE pay-per-views at $9.99. So uh, as, as far as the numbers go, you know, if, if it does well, I'm sure they're going to keep uh, keep doing the shows uh, shows exclu- exclusively on Honor Club. And then, you know, if it, if it doesn't really pop the subs- subscriptions, I'm not sure. I guess maybe they try to go back. And then I guess they, in theory, they could do both. They could go back to offering on pay-per-view and then, you know, do the Honor Club thing as well. Um, and then I think a big part of it, too, is just the card. And I, obviously, when you look at the champion lineup for Ring of Honor right now, um, you know, you've got a lot of big stars holding the titles right now. and I'm sure that's playing a big role in them trying to spike the Sonor Club number. So you got, you know, Eddie Kingston's going to be on the card because he's obviously the Ring of Honor champion. You got the Hung Bucks, Adam Page, and the Umbucks as the Trios champions. You got MJF as one half of the tag team champions. Uh, you know, and then you have also, you know, people like Athena and Shibata. And you got some big names that are all on this poster for Final Battle. So, you know, moving some of these titles onto a lot of main stream AEW talents or I guess mainly AEW talents is you know clearly a sign that they're really trying to uh to boost the lineups and get as many subscriptions as possible because you know if, if they were having if they were if they were trying to get the honor club subs up and the talent wasn't an issue then you know the young bucks wouldn't and Anna Page wouldn't be holding the trios titles for example. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how it does. I'm interested to see, you know, what the lineup looks like. Um, and yeah, it should be fascinating to follow what the next step is after final battle. Yeah. I'm really interested, intrigued to see kind of how things play out. And we do have another AW pay-per-view that we, uh, briefly mentioned earlier in this conversation and that is world's end. It will take place at the Nassau Coliseum in Long Island, New York, and it will be on Saturday, December 30th. So it's it's a very interesting time to put a pay-per-view on. And I know historically Final Battle has kind of been at the, I believe it's been towards the latter end of December, but they moved it up to the 15th. And now you have this show and I'm taking a look here. because I can't remember when the college football playoff is, if it's going to go head to head. Um because if it goes head to head with the college football playoff, it's going to be very interesting. And it looks like it might. Uh, no, well, the playoffs. The playoff semifinals are on the first. They're going to be in the next year, so we don't have to worry about that. Okay, I'm sure. I'm sure it'll go up against some like bowl game or something. Or I know at that point in the year there are NFL games on Saturdays, so it might have to go against some sort of NFL game. Um, I think the most interesting point, well, first of all, I think the title is funny because I, as soon as I saw it, it was, I, for whatever reason, I just think of the, the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie because the name of that movie is At World's End. So mm-hmm. uh, that was a little, a little funny thing there. But I guess what's interesting, too, is that they're running it at not the, the new arena in Long Island. They're running it at, at the old arena in Long Island, the Nassau Coliseum, uh, which... You know, I at least from what I've heard in the Slack, while it's not used for much anymore since the new arena has been built, that apparently, like, it's not the dump that was apparently, you know, like for many years. 
but still, it's interesting. And I was checking to see, oh, is there is there like an Islanders game that sort of conflicts? And well, at the the new arena, there are I think there's a game, an Islanders game there the day before, and then a game the day after. But there's no there's nothing there on the thirtieth. So I don't know if it's just like a maybe they it's logistically it's it would have been hard for them to go from a hockey setup to a wrestling setup and then back to a hockey setup within like two days. Maybe that was part of the reason why they went with the older arena. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how it does from an attendance standpoint. Um, I think a fascinating aspect of it is that it is in the New York City metropolitan area on New Year's weekend. So, you know, it, it's going to be a very hectic weekend in that area, I'm sure. Um, and like, for example, like, you know, I live in Pennsylvania, New York city is not that far from me. Um, if it was another weekend, I might've considered going to the show. Uh, but the fact that it's, you know, New Year's Eve weekend, it's like, I, that makes it like almost a non-starter for me. Cause I don't want to be in the, uh, I don't want to be in the city for, uh, all the hectic New Year's celebrations and whatnot. But uh, I'm, I am, you know, I'm wondering how it being, you know, New Year's weekend in New York City will affect any potential, maybe I guess, out of town travelers who might come in for the show. I am sure there won't be that many, but I'm talking. I guess I mean more like people, you know, if you're coming from like, you know, Pennsylvania, like me, or New Jersey, or like Connecticut, or uh, Rhode Island, or Massachusetts, or something like that, and you want to come see a pay per view, I don't know if you know it being new year's weekend will make it more difficult from like a travel standpoint or like getting hotels or whatever. But, uh, but no, I'm curious to see how it does. Um, like you said, there's obviously going to be the sports competition and, uh, it just continues the trend of AEW adding more pay-per-views to the calendar. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how it does. And I, I like your point about using kind of the older building because the older building itself usually means less money. And one of the reasons why sure. you don't see Madison Square Garden run a lot, well, they also, you know, the Madison Square Garden is ran like 320 days a year because obviously you have the Knicks, you have the Liberty, and you have the Rangers that play there regularly, not to mention all the concerts and shows and performances that go on there, including the occasional AEW, WWE show. Like, theoretically, I don't actually think AEW has ever ran Madison Square Garden because whenever they go to New York, they usually go, uh, Long Island, um, somewhere in New Jersey, or they go up to Arthur Ashe in Queens. So it's very interesting to see that that area is getting another big AEW show. And I think that's the one element that I don't think is going to get talked about enough here, Sean, because they have really exhausted that market out because they they had one of the first collisions in Trenton. And that was right after, I, I can't remember where they were. I think they might've been up in like by the Meadowlands when they ran, um, death before dishonor yeah so they yeah so they ran they ran death before dishonor in trenton new jersey okay then the collision the next day was in um uh, i forget the name of the arena but it's where the devils play uh and it was actually the it was in newark newark new jersey okay and yeah it was actually it was funny because that was actually the first time that i had not gone to an AEW show in newark because all the previous times that they'd gone to newark i'd gone there was you know I, I'd gone to the, in 2021, I went there because that was 
originally supposed to be in March 2020, and then obviously got postponed. And uh, I was there for the let's see, there was the the hang the second Hangman Danielson match in uh, early 2022, the first TBS show, mm-hmm. and uh, then I was there for Full Gear last year. So I've I've gone to pretty much every um, sh- uh, show in that Newark venue, but uh, I had to miss that Collision show because it just didn't work out for me logistically. It was. It was the same weekend NASCAR was in Pocono, so I couldn't uh, couldn't make it out there. But but yeah, uh, so yeah. Anytime you can as... go watch a race in a triangle, um, <laughs> I, I'm with you. And I, I don't mean that as a meme. I I think that that track is just fascinating. I, and ever since I, I I don't watch NASCAR anymore, but when I was younger, I watched it every single weekend. And there was just something about watching it on a triangle racetrack that was just fun to me. Oh yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's a it's a it's a massive facility and uh, it's, it's always funny, you know, traveling there because it's about, I want to say it's a little under an hour from my house. So the drive isn't that far. And it's always funny because it's like, we're driving through the Pocono mountains. We're in the middle of the woods. And then all of a sudden you hit the traffic and then you come out to a clearing and the tracks like just in this clearing in the middle of the woods. Um, but, uh, but yeah, as far as the, like the New York market thing goes, um, I know that they mentioned it last night that this technically is their first pay-per-view um, in the state of New York proper. So that's kind of a interesting wrinkle to it. But yeah, so as far as like New York City, like obviously they run Arthur Ashe Stadium for Grand Slam. And really their other, I guess, New York City area venues that they've been running have been the arena in uh, Newark and then the new arena they built in Long Island. But again, they're for this show, they're going to the old arena, the uh, Nassau Coliseum. But uh, well, it, sh- it should be interesting to see how that card shapes up. And, uh, and yeah, I'm looking looking forward to watching a pay per view on uh, right, right after Christmas and right before New Year's. I think it's going to be a real test to see if they've really um, exhausted that market or not. Because I was at one of the lowest attended AEW pay per views, and that was Full Gear 2021. Minnesota had not quite gotten all the way to the point of normalcy with everybody yet. And I think they did 10, eight at target center when you with, for a wrestling show, you could easily do 14,000. Um, and I'm wondering if they're able to clear it. Now attendance has gone up the last few weeks and we've like last week's dynamite and rampage had Mystico in Houston. It was over 5,000 this week's had Okada and it was over 5,000 wonder how much of that has to do with being Mystico and Okada being booked, but it, it's still a positive sign for dynamite. And when you talk about going into a potentially overexposed market, how much will it just being a pay-per-view show impact it? And I'm very fascinated to see how ticket sales play out because it's, it's been very slow initially for AEW shows, including pay-per-views. Right. I mean, ultimately I, I would, as far as the tickets go, I'm far more curious and concerned about uh, the television shows as opposed to the pay-per-views. I mean, honestly, the pay-per-views aren't selling out, certainly, compared to what they were even a year ago. But I think as long as they're announced far enough in advance, uh, I think they'll ultimately get to a number that's, I would say, a solid. I mean, they're we're almost a month from full gear and it certainly seems like they'll be able to get to 10,000 in, uh, the, uh, in the forum there. So, um, I mean, we'll see, I don't want to, you know, 
I'm not very good at predicting attendances or anything like that, but uh, I think well, they could get to a decent number. And it, it, again, you are dealing with you know New Year's weekend, um, so that could cause some maybe issues in terms of ticket sales go. But then again, maybe you'll get people who will you know who will buy you know uh, a ticket as a Christmas gift or something like that, um, which I'm sure some people will do, but. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to say that, oh, it, it's definitely going to 10,000 people um, or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm i sure it'll do okay or at least decent. But, uh, but, yeah, we'll see when the time comes and when tickets go on sale. And, uh, and yeah, as far as the New York stuff goes, I think it just comes down to you got to – I mean, we saw with Grand Slam that once they promoted the hell out of it in the final week – the tickets went up to a, you know, a respectable number, but the fact that they had to do such a hard PR push in that last week just to get to a respectable number, you know, that, that certainly says a lot about what their standing is in the market currently. Uh, so hopefully they do some more promotion. Hopefully they get things in gear and, uh, and hopefully they do a lot of promoting for the show so that they don't have to, you know, scratch and claw and like go work overtime on the last minute to get the ticket sales up. Yeah. And there's, there's no, I have no problem with them trying to get the tickets up last second. It's, it's mainly the ticket sales leading up to them adding those discounts. Cause hell, almost everybody adds some form of discount to try and get more people in the building at the very end. But it, it's just worrisome that they're really ramping it up when they've only sold like 1600 tickets. So I'm fascinated to kind of see how the ticket buying culture ends up continuing to evolve with this company because that's that's going to be really big but right. we've we've talked quite a bit about pay-per-views and we have an interesting one coming up in full gear and these shows Sean uh, have been very interesting and there's been a lot of in, like different dichotomy discussions about them when it talks when you talk about the overall tone of how you feel about AEW as a promotion right now how do you feel because they are giving us a product that is significantly similar yet significantly different from the product that we one grew to love with this company and to expect. Right. So obviously, you know, a lot of the, the weirdness involving, you know, MJF's storylines and all the stuff with Adam Cole and Roger strong and, and now Tony storm, it's, it's sort of gotten, uh, it's gotten long in the tooth and I'm, you know, I'm someone who's not like, I watch, when I sit down and watch wrestling, I watch it, you know, to just have a good time, watch some great wrestling matches and, and generally, generally, uh, good storylines, depending on what the promotion is. Obviously, you know, if I'm watching a place like new Japan, I'm, you know, there, there are stories in new Japan, but I'm not saying that I'm not, you know, I'm not upset or, you know, angry about what's some of the changes that I feel like have been for the, for the worse in AEW recently with some of their quote unquote storytelling. Um, but yeah, it's more just, you know, they still give us great wrestling. They still give us cool matches, but some of the storyline stuff has left me again. I, and I'm someone who like, I try not to get very angry at things, particularly when it comes to stuff that I watch for fun. Uh, so like when I said, I'm not bad, I'm just disappointed. That sort of is pretty accurate. Like, I'm just sort of like, 
I like AW, you're kind of better than this. Like all this stuff, it's like very, you know, very WWE esque and very sort of cringy and corny and over the top to a uh, to a ridiculous degree. And I, I just find it funny that people were talking about or when reports were coming out about the whole Adam Cole and MGF thing that's like, oh, this is going to be our bloodline or whatever. And it's like, well, and, lo- and looking back on it now, it's like, well, you know, the bloodline storyline, you know, while it, it had sort of, I guess, some comedic elements and that was more, I would say that was just more down to Sami Zayn because Sami Zayn's just a natural goofball and that's just who he is. Like, they're not, this whole, you know, Brochacho thing, it's not even like bloodlines. The bloodline didn't even have that much. It's all like all. It's mostly like just a comedy storyline, which is sort of like what what bugs me the most. It's that it's like you know you you say or people in AEW as it came out months ago said, oh, this is our bloodline, but it's not even really bloodline. It's just like a a comedy storyline involving your world champion, and it's just just doesn't you know it doesn't fit the tone of the promotion at all, and it's you know and as we saw last night, it's like this really freaking weird dichotomy where one moment you'll have Roderick Strong and the kingdom out there, you know, they're starting the show doing a promo with MJF and then MJF, you know, is, is interacting with them. He kicks Roddy's wheelchair away and they go running after him. And then MJF turns around and has to do like this serious, this serious uh, promo on his match with Juice Robinson where he's threatening to beat him half to death. And it's like, it's just like the the dichotomy and the tonal shift is just super super weird and and yeah it's just like I obviously don't like the whole brochacho stuff or the Tony Storm stuff which was which is interesting to start but then it's gone so over the top that it's you know at the point of just being overly ridiculous and yeah it's certainly not what I watch AEW for um, I still watch AEW for the good wrestling for the some storylines that work out pretty well, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff right now that's that's not jiving with me really. So uh, I mean, I'm still gonna watch it. You know, someone like me is not who AEW should be concerned about because I'm one of those people who's gonna be watching the show no matter what. Uh, but there, you know, there are certainly a lot of people who are not happy with the direction and you know are being more turned off by AEW based on some of the, some of the storylines that they're doing. And like, those are the people you have to worry about. Like, you know, I'll like, again, someone like me, I'm just going to watch the show no matter what, but cause I'm already, you know, I'm already pot committed to, to AEW at this point, but, uh, but yeah, it's certainly concerning. And again, you know, if the MJF and Cole storyline, you know, it, it popped quarter hours there for a little bit, but you know, as for example, like the flagship guys, uh, Joe and Rich have mentioned, you know, it's not exactly moving tickets, and what's moving the tickets is the uh, is the cool matches and bringing in people like Mystico and Okada. So, uh, you know, as far as their ticket problem goes, you know, maybe you should consider you know just booking more cool matches as opposed to uh, as you know giving us like MGF's like uh, variety hour. One last question, then I want to start talking about those cool matches because we had a couple of them this weekend. Do you think MJF's a little gotten to with this and the sudden shift from the massive brochacho stuff to, 
hey, now all of a sudden I have five guys coming after me because I'm the world champ. And now they're hot-shotting a Kenny Omega-MJF match, which MJF-Kenny Omega is arguably the greatest uh, match that they can make in AEW, only involving AEW wrestlers right now. And it's it feels like it's being rushed on a... You can argue it's a 10-day build. It's a three-day build, in my opinion. Like, do you think that he's been listening just a little bit too much to uh, the outside noise when it comes to his program and why we've seen such a massive shift? Um, well, it certainly seemed like he read the article that Suit Williams did uh, the other Good. week. Good. Suit is smart. Point. Yes. Suit, Suit, that's Suit Williams. He, he knows a thing or two. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, I, I guess the thing that, that I noticed on, especially, you know, uh, they're obviously setting up a lot of different challengers. I mean, they had Kenny Omega being set up. They had Wardlow being set up. They had Samoa Joe being set up. And then all this going on while the Jay White stuff is happening. Um, and it, it does create something interesting because it gives the idea of, hey, everybody's, you know, gunning for the world title. And I know they have been talked about that this whole MGF Cole thing was planned until December. And part of me thinks that it may be, it might have been sort of all part of the plan because, you know, you, you have this idea that now Cole is out or maybe part of the plan since Cole got injured. You know, and some people are still in doubt about that. But uh, I guess in the current storyline, it, it works in the sense that MJF is, you know, he's on his own. He doesn't have Cole anymore. And so all these people are trying to be his friends. And, you know, he he's not really accepting them. And then meanwhile, all he's got all these different plot points coming at him from, you know, again, like Wardlow and Joe and Angle and all. Angle. Why did I say Angle? Kenny Omega. I don't know why I said Kurt Angle. Why he came to mind. Um but yeah, he's got all these challengers coming his way. And I, I do like it in the sense that it is creating more focus on the world champion. Um, but then at the same time, it's like, for example, the, the whole segment last night where you had, uh, it ended, I say, I would think pretty strongly with the whole Kenny Omega coming out to front MJF stuff. But then right before that, you had all like the acclaim stuff, and in a segment where it felt like just everyone was reciting their catchphrases, basically. Um, and yeah, as as far as the Kenny Omega MGF goes, I apologize if I sounding a little scattershot here, just uh, as far as what I'm saying. But uh, I guess my thought on the Kenny Omega MGF match is that you know they're doing it on a three day build, obviously, and. When they were first, when they first did the tease last week, I was like, "Okay, they're they're doing this tease, and they announced Kenny Omega for this collision, but there's no way they're going to do this match, you know, on three days' notice or whatever, because it's it's a big match you can do on a pay per view." And I think the bigger issue with it is not so much that they're doing it on a collision; it's the fact that it seems like they only just realized that MGF was going to break the record, and they wanted to get this Kenny match out of the way. And I feel like like you could have subtly, you know, built to the idea that MGF was closing in on the record over a several month period. And if you had done that, at least doing that match on like the day 
or two before they break the record, even if it's not a television show like Collision, at least at that point, you would have had more built to it than you had, really. So it is kind of, it just sort of feels like that they forgot about it and they were just sort of making up for lost time by setting up a quick angle to uh, set up the match. But uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if that answers your question. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a cool match. But it's disappointing that it's been done on such short notice. And it's going to be disappointing because, you know, the fact that we already know that MGF is wrestling J-Way to full gear means that, you know, the result is... And predetermined results or a result that you know is pretty set in stone. That's not a bad thing necessarily. But in this case, it just sort of just ruins it in the sense that you know you're going to get some... You're probably going to get some weird finish, like... If they just be if they just had MGF be Omega clean, like okay, that's that's fine. But we're probably going to get some interference from Callus and his crew. But um, yeah, it's it's it's, it's going to be a good match. But it's also sort of they could have saved it, or at the very least, they could have done a better job building to it. Do you think that Tony Khan would dare do the bait and switch here, where? We know WWE has done this time and time again, and the one that always rings in my head is the post-WrestleMania where it was supposed to be, I think it was Kofi Kingston versus Seth Rollins, title versus title, and then they just didn't do the match after announcing it earlier in the show? Well, I, they, they did do the match, but they had, like, I think they had Sheamus and Cesaro run it and do it, do it like a no contest, and then they, then they set up a tag match. But, but yeah, the idea that you... Uh, they promised them a champion versus champion match with the titles on the line, and then they didn't give you a finish. Yeah, because I, I feel like with this hot shot, because it's eerily reminiscent to Goldberg Hogan, where Goldberg right. Hogan was the biggest match in WCW you could make, and it's obviously different eras, different scenarios, and television ratings matter a hell of a lot more now than they used to. Um, it, it feels like if there was a time to do any form of bait and switch or Kenny Omega gets his ass handed to him by the Don Callis family going into it, that this would be the time because it's, it's your biggest match. And I'm fine doing it on television because if you can gain, like, let's say 300,000 more viewers on a Wednesday night or a Saturday night, I think that's a massive win. And it's great for your advertisers. It's great for your television partner. And honestly, it's great for you. And there's merit to doing really, really big matches on TV instead of pay-per-view these days. But how they've gotten here tells me that they might be actually willing to do one uh, bait and switch. And my question here is not just about, do you think they'd be willing to do it? But do you think that they would get buried to oblivion for it? Or because this would be like, genuinely like the first time they've ever done a bait and switch they could get away with it um like when you're talking bait and switch are you talking about like them announcing the match and then not delivering it or just announcing the match and we get like a like a run and finish because i do think that those are two different things like no i'm talking like not doing the match like where um, don Callis gets mega 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 heat by just beating the shit out of Omega and be like, you don't deserve a title match to catch to beat you. And then maybe we get like a to MJF match or, or completely scrap the whole thing. 
They've never done anything like that. And it's good that they've never done anything like that. But I'm curious because if they do something like that, would it be viewed as this huge, massive negative where you're just like baiting the fan base? Or is it something because you've never done it and you do it once that there would be an an aura of forgiveness about it and it wouldn't be viewed as such a big deal, but rather like continuing the story of Omega and Don Callis? I, I don't personally, I don't think they're going to do that just because it, it, it would be one thing if, you know, AEW was hot right now. And I think they would be, they'd have a better shot of getting away with something like that. But uh, I think with the position they're in right now, um, with them being, being perceived as cold and it, and it is true. They are, you know, they're certainly not high. Um, I don't think something like that would go over well in, late 2023 AEW. I, you know, I, I think what's probably going to happen is that they're going to have the match and then we're going to get some sort of screwy finish, whether it's, you know, Don, the Don Callis crew coming out and costing Kenny the match or, but, it, but it's, it's also weird at the same time because MJF is, you know, is in that weird spot where he's, you know, he still acts like a heel, but he's also, he's also, you know, perceived by the crowd as a baby face. So that does add a, another, weird wrinkle into it. I mean, I guess another thing that, that they could do if they wanted to do something where they can give you the title match, but work the finish in a way where they can get away with, you know, maybe not even doing interference per se is they, they could do a 60 minute draw where, you know, MGF could break the record. He doesn't beat Kenny Omega. And yet the draw means that they can still save the match again for a different time period down the line. Sort of like, you know, I mean, we were supposed to get the Danielson Omega rematch at Wembley, but because Danielson was hurt, that didn't happen. But uh, I, I think that doing a 60-minute draw is an idea that they could do to um, sort of protect, to, just, to sort of do the match, but then protect it for the future. But then again, I do feel like that the Don Callis family is going to get involved in some way to continue that feud with Kenny. So um, I think the 60-minute draw would be a more interesting idea. But um, but yeah, I, I if I had to like, you know, gun to my head, if I had to put a bet on it, I'd say that that uh, we're just going to get a match and the Callis crew is going to get involved and they're going to cost Kenny the win. Yeah, I think that's the likely route, but I'm I'm very intrigued by potential outs in this match because this is the biggest match that AEW can make and it's it just right. it feels wrong of how they've gone about it not that they've gone about it yeah. because I, I think we've all expected it to happen but MJF and Kenny Omega have literally never interacted until last week right yeah and, and like I said earlier if they had done a thing where you know and again this I guess this sort of uh shows how AEW isn't as far as their booking isn't necessarily planning ahead for a lot of these things as far ahead as they used to, uh, where they could have had, you know, MJF referencing for months, for months and months. Oh, you know, I'm so-and-so days away from breaking the record. I'm so-and-so days away from breaking the record. And, and you could show, you know, you could have shown like Kenny, like, you know, maybe acknowledging it backstage, like, you know, when he's watching a promo or something, but, but no, it just again, like I said, it, it literally just seems like that they forgot the, the, that the record was coming up, and they decided, oh, we got we got to do this, we got to you know, rush this match 
on a couple days notice to uh, just get it in under the gun. So. Yeah, let's uh let's kind of shift gears here because one of the things we started talking about this whole uh, Kenny Omega MJF discussion is cool matches, and we had a cool as hell match that sold over two thousand extra tickets to the uh, Dynamite slash Rampage taping in Houston, Texas last week, and that was Mystico versus Rocky Romero in a traditional Lucha Rules match, best two out of three falls. Sean, what did you think of this? I thought this was phenomenal and. More cool shit like this on television. Yeah, exactly. I this this is sort of the thing that I'd like to see more of from AEW that they used to do a lot of, but not as much this year. But uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the match. Uh, certainly seemed like you know if they had been wrestling in say Arena Mexico, if we probably would have gotten a better version of this match. Uh, but for what it was, you know, you know, I I enjoyed it. Really, you know, it was a really good match. Uh, seeing Mystico in the States again, especially after his uh, not-so-stellar WWE run, was uh, was cool to see sort of him getting a little bit of a bit of redemption from the whole Sin Cara stuff and uh, having a, a unique and fun match with uh, Rocky Romero, who was uh, playing his, uh, his, his more heelish character from CMLL, which was awesome to see. And... Uh, and yeah, like, what else is there to say? It was just a, again, not not a match that I would say would like blow your socks off or anything like that, but a lot of fun for a Friday night at ten o'clock. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun at that ten o'clock. There really wasn't a whole lot else on Rampage, but I think we do have to talk about these Eddie Kingston promos. And right after Rampage, he he cut a an incredible promo on Jeff Jarrett and. Uh, Jay Lethal basically calling Lethal a uh, little slime ball and going completely contradictory to the professional wrestler that he, he knew back in the Ring of Honor days where Jay Lethal is a two-time champion. And then tied into the Memphis Street Fight where uh, this past Wednesday on Dynamite. Uh, sorry, no, it was on Collision. Yeah, I, it was on Collision, right? I watched Collision right before Dynamite, so my brain <laughs> got those. I Mandela affected that one, but... It was a fantastic match, but Jay Lethal, Satnam Singh, Sanjay Dutt, they all basically helped beat the living crap out of Kingston. So Kingston lost to Jeff Jarrett, and now Lethal gets a title shot. And he cut another great promo saying that he's sorry that his mom's going to cry, not because he's getting beaten up, because he know, she'll know he deserves it. Eddie Kingston's just... If you had to put somebody in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame based on promo ability only I think Eddie Kingston would easily be among the top five that what he's doing right now is just incredible. Would you agree? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I watched this uh, in particular, the one after the collision match I was like, Oh, look at this. It's another fantastic Eddie Kingston promo. It's like, I feel like I've sort of become sort of numb to it in the way, but more just like, Oh wow. What a surprise. He's cut another awesome promo. Uh, and, you know, he's doing a, a very solid job in, you know, getting interest in this upcoming Jay Lethal match. Um, and then, you know, the street fight was a little annoying in the sense that it's like, you know, I think it's very, it, I think it's very WWE in the sense that, you know, it, it feels like something WWE would do where the, like, the baby face doesn't have any friends. 
And it's like, man, Eddie Kingston's basically like a, a it's like, was it Lethal, Jay, Jeff Jarrett, Sanjay, Karen, Satnam Singh, like a, basically like a five-on-one situation. And he's like, got like nobody there to help him. It's just like, and, and it would be one thing if it's like, you know, he has people come out and help him, but ultimately the heels still win. Like, that's something I'd be totally fine with, but it's more just like, you know, does, does Eddie Kingston have no friends in the locker room? But, uh, no, I mean, the street fight itself had uh, plenty of entertaining spots for sure. And interesting that, you know, they've done, technically they've done two of these matches because they did one with uh, Mark Briscoe and Jeff Jarrett a couple months back. So now Jarrett in AEW is now technically undefeated in these Memphis street fights. So uh, that's something interesting they got going on there. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to the Kingston lethal match, especially if, if lethal takes a more uh, serious approach to it. I think it could be pretty good. I'm very intrigued to see what a, a matchup with Eddie Kingston and Jay lethal in the year 2023 will look like. Cause lethal might be the most consistent, boring wrestler of all time <laughs> in, in, at this iteration. But he's never bad. He's just not engaging. And like I, I thought his stuff were he did the House of Truth with Truth Martini. I thought that was that might have been my favorite Jay Lethal. I, I mean, right. I know people are gonna go to uh, uh Black Machismo when he did his uh Randy Savage impersonation for years as as their favorite, but the House of Truth stuff was just great. And I I, I wanna see Lethal get back to being more of that and less of like Jeff Jarrett's lackey, which I love Jeff Jarrett and he's, he's fun to watch in today's iteration of AEW because he can just get beaten like a drum and it's just fun, but you can get a lot more out of even like a 40 year old Jay lethal than you are. And I think this, hopefully this could be the catalyst of something new. The one thing I'll say about Jay lethal, at least is that, you know, at least that he, he is a guy who is still, relatively good in the ring and still has still has some charisma in him because uh, mm-hmm. when, I, when I was listening to you describe Jay Lethal it's like like the most boring wrestler in AEW without question is Scorpio Sky like that guy's just he is just a total jag well it, here's the difference between Jay Lethal and Scorpio Sky Jay Lethal's still really good in the ring oh yeah I won't say the same about Scorpio Sky Lethal just he's not engaging that, that's what I mean he's just He's boring. Well, and I was, you, I was, but you know there's more. And that's why right. it's frustrating. And, and as I say about, like, I don't think, for example, like, I don't think Scorpio Sky is bad, per se. He's just, like, I just think he's, like, an incredibly boring wrestler. Whereas, you know, Jay Lethal, I, you know, obviously, you know, I'm a Ring of Honor fan. I, you know, he was part of a lot of my Ring of Honor watching for many years. Um, and I... It's a little harder to enjoy Jay Lethal now, only because you know I know that oh he's got the whole circus on the outside and they're going to get involved and everything like that. So from that standpoint, it's a little you know I'm not looking at the Jay Lethal of you know six or seven years ago when he was Ring of Honor World Champion and basically not the face of the company but one of the top guys in the company. Um, but you know every time he goes out there and is in there with a good wrestler, he I can always count on him to have a to have a really good match and. That's been the case, I think. I think more often than not in this AEW run. But again, it all depends on what, how much the circus on the outside gets involved in these matches. And I, and they've already set up a good story where you know, 
in the in the street fight, they had Jarrett target Kingston's knee. And obviously, both Jarrett and Lethal do the figure four, so I'm sure there will be a, a big story point in the match whenever they do it. Yeah, it's Eddie Kingston's on the one of the funner runs I've seen in a long time just because he's just being allowed to be an absolute wrestling dork. And that guy yeah, can just create some of the exactly. best storylines, and it, it's working really well. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything else on these Rampage and Collision shows that really stood out to you? Obviously, we, we're going to talk about the Brian Danielson and Andrade match because they kind of build it as a dream match, and it was, but it wasn't. I mean, it's not Blue Panther, but right. Like, if you would have told me in the year 2015, you could have gotten La Sombra versus uh, Brian Danielson. I think everybody would have been like, "Yes, please." And it happened ah, probably like five years too late because uh, Andrade is just not quite what he used to be. He's gotten really, really big and bulky, but that match was fantastic. Nonetheless, I think I went four and a quarter plus on it. Right. Yeah. So if you did miss like collision or rampage, I would say, you know, Danielson versus Andrade is definitely worth checking out. Uh, it's currently at an 8.02 on cage match, which is about four stars. I think that that's a fair rating for that match. Um, Otherwise, I say that the main event, which had Big Bill and Ricky Starks defending the AW World Tag Team titles against uh, uh, Claudio Castagnoli and Wheeler Yuta from the BCC, that was a pretty good match that uh, did end in uh, some interference as we did have the return of the House of Black in various forms throughout Collision where you know uh, Malachi Black attacked Danielson after his match, and then a squash match for FTR ended in a no contest when uh, the rest of the House of Black came back, including Brody King, who is, uh, has a big giant old cast on his arm and is, looks to be doing the whole uh, Bob Orton deal with the cast now going forward. And uh, yeah, it's interesting. So they, they At the end of Collision, they clearly set up sort of like a, a 10-man where it's going to be like the BCC and FTR versus Ricky Stark's Big Bill and uh, the House of Black at some point. And it's it's really fascinating because the BCC has seems to have its tentacles in a lot of different things right now because they're still, you know, in a way, they're tangled with Ricky Starks and Big Bill. And they're sort of feuding with Orange Cassidy. And they've also got the House of Black now interjecting themselves into things again. So it's sort of like they've got all sorts of different things going on in all sorts of different directions. But uh, yeah, I would say those were the two best matches on Collision. Um, the street fight was more like spectacle than you know an actual like good match. Uh, they did continue the whole the whole Miro and CJ storyline where uh, CJ was sitting out there watching the Miro action and Dreddy match, and you know Miro won. Uh, and then I think on the Battle of the Belts show, CJ approached Andrade, so maybe they're setting up Andrade versus Miro at some point. Um. But yeah, other than that, I thought Collision was a, was a, a decent show. Obviously, you know, the, the, the attendance wasn't great in Memphis. Uh, as far as Rampage, I, I guess really only other thread that was going on from Rampage and Collision was people talking about Sky Blue's gear, <laughs> where she basically had this, uh, basically like the Mystery Machine themed gear. I think you must have, you watched Collision, Tyler, so you probably saw it. And I guess it was funny just because it's sort of they're, they're doing this storyline where she's getting darker or more heelish. And yet 
she comes out in like the brightest colored gear you could possibly imagine that's like scooby-doo themed so that was kind of a weird gear choice but you know other than that and then do you want to briefly touch on battle of the belts because i i watched and you you didn't so do you want me to just touch on that briefly as well yeah um i i did find the the mystery machine gear of sky blue very interesting she's wor- <laughs> she's working like a snarmy heel in the match against i i don't even remember some some jobber and just it was just hilarious because she was that if you've ever watched scooby-doo she was working like the villain she was working like the ghost and she's wearing the hero's colors it was very odd but we'll maybe it plays into something. It was likely she just bought it, wanted to wear it. And she's just like, ah, I'm going to wear it. And yeah, yeah. I, I know there was, I, I saw there was some discourse of, of people trying to read into it more. And I think, I think it's just that she had that gear already made. And, and I would have just said, Hey, you know, maybe, you know, we're doing the storyline here. Maybe, you know, wear something that's that are wear different colors that sort of are more totally appropriate for the storyline. But, uh, but yeah, as, as far as battle of the belts goes, uh, Orange Cassidy retained the international title against John Silver. Um, a fine match, though I thought that their match from Full Gear 2020 was significantly better. Uh, Samoa Joe retained the T- ROH TV title against Tony Nese. So it was basically a squash. It only went like a minute. Uh, the one match that I would say is worth checking out from this show is uh, Chris Statlander versus Willow Nightingale for the TBS title. That was a, a really good match, and while Chris Statlander's title reign got off to a, a rough start, mainly because she wasn't wrestling opponents that I would say were quality, basically quality opponents. Basically, ever since the Jade match, her, her title reign has really picked up. Like that match was very good. I thought probably one of Jade's best AW matches. Uh, the Britt Baker match that I saw at Penn State at a Collision was was really good. Uh, the Julia Hart match at uh, Wrestle Dream was really good, and then this match was uh, with Willow was really good as well. And again, I wouldn't call any of them necessarily, you know, uh, great in the sense that I'd be putting them in my notebook, but they're not they're not far off that point. So I definitely think that Chris's title reign has been been pretty solid since since the since starting with the Jade match, and then you know where she you know uh, beat not not obviously not the one where she beat uh, Jade to win the title, but the one where Jade came back and they had the match on Rampage. But since from that point onward, I think her title reign has been very good and uh, this Willow match added to that. Yeah. Uh, I might have to go back and find that uh, Willow and Statlander match because Willow has had quite the rise over the last few months ever since winning the IWGP Women's World title um, in that uh, mini the, tournament. The strong title, technically, yeah. it was the, Oh, it was the strong, my yeah, bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird because Stardom's created, or I guess Stardom slash New Japan, it's like they created these two new, well, I, I guess the IWGP women's title is more of a Stardom title, and then this one's more, they're just adding, New Japan and Stardom's like adding all these titles, it's hard to keep track of, but uh, yeah, she was obviously supposed to you know lose that match to Mercedes, but then because of the injury, yeah, she won it. But uh, yeah, I guess the only other, other note is that they did a post-match where Willow was going to shake Sky Blue, or not Sky Blue, uh, Chris Statler in his hand. And then Sky Blue came out and tried to, you know, force her not to do it, but then she did it anyway. Um, and uh, obviously, I hope that they're not turning Willow heel. Uh, 
though I think the one thing that I've noticed, I think maybe some other people have noticed, is that while Sky Blue, you know, Sky Blue got sprayed by the mist from Julia Hart on television, and Willow, I guess she got sprayed, but it was like off camera because she was supposed to wrestle Julia Hart in like a collision, I think. Mm-hmm. And like they they took her off for some reason, and then they did a phantom angle where she got sprayed by the mist. I mean, just based on my interpretation, I guess the storyline that they're telling is that, you know, with Sky Blue Wrestle, she has all that makeup on around her eyes, and she got fully sprayed by the mist. And I, I, again, I guess this is where they're going, is that, you know, Willow comes out, and she has only, like, one of the eyes sort of, like, got the makeup on it from the mist. So I guess where they're going is that Willow, because she didn't get fully sprayed by the mist, that she's still sort of, you know, not fully turning dark like uh sky blue but uh yeah the mist stuff is always kind of strange but uh at least based on that little makeup detail i'm guessing that's where they're going but again i pray to god that they do not turn willow heel because that would be a very bad decision yeah she's got uh real nxt bailey energy and i know i'm not the only one who said that it's it's been oh yeah kind of floating around the the wrestling ecosystem for a while and she's just She's got this special aura about her, and ruining it would be a really poor decision at this point. Maybe you can turn her heel in a few years, but not right now. Um, let's talk about this Dynamite show for a minute. And it was very interesting. You had uh, Wardlow cut a promo, Samoa Joe get in MJF's face, wanting another uh, title match. And Omega officially challenged MJF and um, got in his ear and was like, three days bitch after um mjf said 13 days bitch over a week ago and i thought that was really interesting but the best part of the show was almost certainly the main event tag match with orange cassidy and kazuchika okada against claudio castagnoli and brian danielson and this is more of what we need to see in AEW: just great matches and a bunch of dudes who don't normally wrestle against each other and they just go and have a good match. Right. Exactly. And you know, when I saw that, because they made the announcement on actually the battle of the belt show, orange Cassidy announced the match. And, you know, as soon as they announced that, I was like, Oh, this is going to be cool. And I knew that it was going to move tickets and it did move tickets uh, for the show in Philadelphia. And it was a pretty great main event, you know, not, uh, you know, uh, match of the year contender or anything like that but a really strong main event certainly i would say the best thing on the show and uh it was pretty cool seeing uh okada doing the rainmaker pose and then the zoom out and then right after that orange cassie comes in for the hook and they do the zoom out again that was that was a cool moment there but uh and then you had some really incredible interactions between orange cassidy and uh claudio which were you know pretty incredible to see uh, where I think at one point Orange es- like escaped out of the giant swing and then went to do his orange punch, but then Claudio caught him in the giant swing. That was a, definitely a highlight of the match, and it sets up a international title match for next week on Dynamite, which should be incredible. I mean, those guys have been familiar with each other for a while. Obviously, you know, Claudio was in WWE for a long time, but uh, they did wrestle each other in Jakara, you know, back when Orange Cassidy was uh, obviously, you know, no secret at this point anymore. He was Fire Ant part of the colony, and I'm sure they had plenty of uh, interactions in Jakara. And it's actually funny because uh, 
obviously Orange Cassidy was in Jakara, a big character as part of the colony. And, you know, Claudio also in Jakara. He was a, a mainstay there for many years. And Claudio was teaming with Brian Danielson, who he, you know, obviously they're BCC stablemates, but they also teamed together in Chikara before, and they were even part of the, I think I'm trying to remember, it was the 2009 King of Trios tournament, I want to say, where it was uh, Brian, Claudio, and then they were teaming with Dave Taylor in that tournament. So obviously those guys, Chikara connected in some way, even uh, mainly through Ring of Honor, but they were partners in Chikara. And then Okada, who, believe it or not, did spend some time in Jakara back in the 2000s. Uh, so a bit of a, you know, uh, a bunch of Jakara alumni in this one. But uh, yeah, it was a great main event. Uh, obviously had a very weird finish too, where uh, not weird with, you know, Claudio got the win to set up the title match, but where they sort were sort of selling a, a Danielson injury, which I guess the story that they're telling is that, you know, technically with, you know, even though Brian didn't pin Okada, it was Claudio pinning Orange. Technically, Brian is 2-0 against Okada, if you want to look at it that way. Mm-hmm. And I guess the story they're going with is that every time Brian wrestles Okada, Okada hurts him. <laughs> it seems like that's what they're doing. Because I I saw the ending last night, and I was like, I, I didn't see what had happened. And I watched back, and it was just like, oh, he just... Okada just hit him with a Rainmaker, and then Brian started like selling the side of his face. So... Uh, yeah, I guess that's the story they're going with is that Brian gets hurt every time he wrestles Okada. Yeah, I, I'm not. Not as the poor worse of your choice of words here. I like that idea. Which, that, by the way, that, that does feel like a very Brian Danielson idea to do. I'll just mm-hmm. say that. It definitely seems like something he came up with. And uh, I, I'll give credit to um, Andrew Ricks, Rich, host of Music of the Mat, and he mentioned that he thought it might be a an ode to his him getting a detached retina 15 years ago. Yeah, that would, that would make sense. Playing that off, the Orange Punch and the Rainmaker back-to-back, you could, especially with the height difference between Danielson and Okada, you could easily uh, make the argument that, oh, the arm just got a little too high, hit him right in the eye, and... Bada bing, bada boom. Uh, the the best part of AEW television this week, far and away, was the Rainmaker pose and Orange Cassidy hug. Because you could tell that uh, Okada was not ready for it, but then he's like, wait, what? And he's like, oh yeah, right. Best friends. Like It it, it was just perfect. And Orange Cassidy thinking that he was just going for the hug. was. It, it's the little things that make wrestling so enjoyable, and that was just so beautifully done. Yeah, and again, it, more cool matches, please. The AEW we like is the one that does a lot of cool matches. So just just give us more of that, and we'll be happy. Yes, please, more cool matches. And we do have the one cool match that we talked extensively about already, which is um, MJF versus Kenny Omega for the AEW World Title this Saturday on Collision. And it's going to be interesting because they're going up against you know college football. They're, and they're hot-shotting a really big match. They've been floating around 500,000 viewers without the um, the presence of a WWE Premium Live event. And I'm curious to see if they'll be able to approach six or 700,000 with such a big match. And it's also Halloween weekend, which means a lot of young people in that like um, 
18 to 29 demographic are going to be going out to Halloween parties, going out to bars and celebrating in full costume. So I'm very curious to see what this match does in the ratings because it could could do a lot of different things here. Right, right. And also, I don't know if you mentioned this too, but it's also got the World Series going on. Uh, game, I think it's game two, but it's also... Uh, I don't know if the Rangers and the Diamondbacks are would be considered a marquee matchup for a World Series. So, you know, honestly, it's definitely not. Yeah, I mean, people are going to watch it because it's the World Series, but, you know, it's certainly not as big compared to if it was like, had it been the rematch of last year with Houston and Philly. But uh, casual it, fans will be, will tune out far quicker. And I know casual fan is kind of a monolith in in theory, but when you don't have a major market, and in baseball, Texas is not a major market. Um, you don't have the Dodgers, you don't have the Yankees, you don't have the Red Sox, you don't have the Cubs. Like those are your major market baseball teams that you can include the Braves in there too, because it, their presence on TBS for the better part of like three decades was such a massive influence nationally it's just hard to see a path where this world series does really, really good ratings. Right. Yeah. And, and again, like I said, I'm sure it'll have some effect, but you know, how much of an effect will be, it'll have, you know, to be determined. So mm-hmm. we'll see how things go on Saturday. I'm really intrigued about it. And Sean edge, um, I think that's it for the show today. I just want to say thank you very much for coming on and joining me, kind of giving your, perspective on the broad scope of AEW and kind of where things are headed. Um, let's get some plugs in for you. Where can the people follow you and what do you have going on? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at SACDOR2994. Um, you know, I'll put out my wrestling takes and my uh, race takes and all of that sort of stuff on there. Um, if you are interested in my work, obviously you can check out the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Uh, well, not the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Well, I'm talking to you right now on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network, but uh, on the website itself, um, we did talk about Ring of Honor briefly. I'm sure I'll be part of the review for that final battle show uh, when it comes around in December. Um, I'll probably, I'm sure I'll be on the uh, review of Full Gear uh, when I went or, or i guess when wrestle dream happened back a couple weeks ago i decided to go see that in the theater um oh, nice so I, I went to i went to uh, my local cinemark which uh it, it's weird because for the longest time our closest like major movie theater was in cinemark which which for us it's uh, about a 20-ish minute drive away uh we have a closer theater now but it's a little smaller but uh as far as aw goes like that was the closest option for me to watch the pay-per-view so i went to do that that was pretty cool um but i know we were we were scrambling for people to uh work the uh the uh pay-per-view review for the site so i i think i'll probably hop back on that for full gear uh other podcasting stuff uh myself and griffin uh host a drafting podcast called the draft uh you can find that on twitter at draft and wrestlers that's draft the letter n wrestlers uh, we just did an episode 
with uh, Rich Krejci from the flagship and uh, Lee Malone, another uh, VOW contributor and another part of the podcasting network through the uh, WCW Thunder pod, Days of Thunder. Uh, and we did a draft on 1998 U.S. wrestling. So we basically took uh, pretty much anyone who had worked a notable amount of matches from WWF, WCW, and ECW from 1998. And we did a draft. Uh, the on the Twitter page for that podcast, again, it's Draft and Wrestlers. Uh, we have a link for the episode. I believe we're also on Spotify. And we have the poll where you can go vote for the cards. Um, and then I guess the only other thing wrestling-related that I will plug is that I have... I'm someone, speaking of WCW, I'm someone who enjoys playing uh, some Extreme Warfare Revenge. And... I have a, there's a website called bethebooker.net, which is a place that has uh, a lot of different like downloads for different like wrestling sims, aside from like EWR, or including like EWR, TWE, and all that sort of, or TEW, I should say. Man, I can't talk today. Uh, <laughs> EWR, TEW, all that sort of thing, all sorts of other wrestling simulators. You can get like downloads and links for that, but they also have a form. And on that forum, I post basically just recaps of the WCW game I'm playing right now. Uh, so if you're curious, if you just go to the forum, and I'm just double-checking it now, uh, the page is called, uh, or if you look up the, uh, the thread, it's called An Alternate History of WCW, 1998 and Beyond. Uh, and currently right now, uh, in my, my forum uh, diary thread, I'm in like March of 2002, uh, and the game itself, I'm in like July 2002, um, and I'm just trying to play more of the game just so I can get more further ahead so that when I post stuff, I'm not posting it at the same time while I'm doing the game. But, uh, but yeah, it's been a fun journey. It's, it's sort of a thing where I'm like, I play it for a while and I take a break. Play it for a while, take a break, which I feel like happens with all sorts of games that people play. But, uh, but yeah, if you're into uh, EWR stuff or any like booking sim related stuff, I have that on there, and you can see how I'm doing and everything like that. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of plugs, but uh, there you go. Well, Sean, and thank you very much. And I, I will say, I listened to the last episode of the draft, and I thought it was a lot of fun, especially how Griffin booked his card. Um, getting sniped <laughs> for Dick Togo right away was hilarious to me. Um, but yeah, thank you very much. And we will be back next week with another special guest as Fred is ditching me for two weeks because he hates me, I guess. So nah, he's just busy <laughs> with this shoot job. Um, like, comment, subscribe. And don't forget, if you are on Google Podcasts, um, everything transitioned over to YouTube and we are very easy to find. Uh, go to the Voice of Wrestling YouTube page and we are right there, ready to rock and roll. Thank you very much and take it easy. Hello, Voices of Wrestling listener, Dave Ryan here. Have you ever wondered to yourself, how many hidden gems are hidden away inside the last years of World Championship Wrestling? Have you ever asked yourself how many tenuous gags can be made about the name Mike Enos? And have you ever thought about what it sounds like for two Irishmen to interpret a very chaotic company through its B-show? The answers to all this and more are just a click away. Check out Days of Thunder every second Thursday on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network.